Tech listeners, I'm your host this week, Hayley Levine. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice in health and social care. This week we're joined by Thomas Porteous. Thomas is co-founder of Iatro, sorry, founder of Iatro. <laughs> Thomas is a passionate advocate for primary care, working with practices to control and manage demand, making sure that all patients can find and access digital services. Hi Tom, welcome Hi. to what, what the Health Tech. Been a long time for our listeners. Me and Tom go back. Go back. Um, we used to work at Emma's Health together. So how's it been since Emma's Health? Uh, it's been a, a, a crazy, crazy journey for us. So yeah. you know, uh, loved my time at Emma's. Loved my uh, relationship with practices, and you know, lots of good colleagues there. But um, brilliant time for me to to move on and and, and start Iatra and and solve some of the challenges mm-hmm. that that we've been really really keen to do. Yeah, you you look like you've been doing really really well, but obviously a bad time with a uh, COVID. How's that been? Uh, so I mean, so we we decided to start the business three three months before COVID really hit, and mm. primary care has been hit harder than most mm. of the NHS when it comes to COVID. So you know, on the face of it, tons of challenges for us engaging with customers, but actually for the products that we've been you know that we've been working on and, and delivering, really really useful for COVID. So. It's while it's been difficult in places, it's also been really rewarding to be able to, to, to help and make a difference. Mm. And some of that's been like COVID specific projects, doing appointment booking and, and some of those, those kind of stuff. But some of it has just been being able to there for practices and saying, look, we know what's going on and we'll, we'll help you communicate that to your patients and, and, and make sure the message that you want to get out there is really getting out. So super, super rewarding for us. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I'm going to talk to you a bit more about the business and, and all the recent awards you've been winning as well, which is great. Um, but essentially, I just the main kind of topics I want to speak to you about today are the importance of digital access, patient communication, all that are quite challenging, actually, for, for practices and for the health and social care world in general. Um, so, yeah, so starting with, talk to me a little about Talk to me a little bit about Iatro. Where did it come from? Where did the idea come from? What do you do to help? So I think, you know, earlier on in my career, uh, I was involved in lots of new digital health tools. So, you know, I witnessed the birth of video consultations and e-consultations in the UK and saw those in early startups on their journey. And and some of the other products that we were launching uh, when we were at EMIS as well. And the thing that was that was always the issue around adoption was it doesn't matter how much money the NHS spends on it. It doesn't matter how uh, much practices are told to use something if patients can't find and use it without causing a problem for the practice. Then it's not going to get the it's not going to get out there. If it doesn't get out there, it doesn't get renewed. And if it doesn't get renewed, that innovation doesn't bed in. So there was you know a really big issue for us around actually health you know there's a listicle every week right top new health tech trends ai is it ml maybe probably but actually most patients can't find the services that are already being delivered and that was a massive challenge we saw that's really coming into covid you know news was changing so fast what service do i use you know there's 15 16 appointment booking apps which one can i use which one can I use today? Which one can I use today for this appointment? Really, really difficult for practicing for patients. So, you know, that was where we started. Practice 365 is our, we call it our website builder, but that's really what that's about. Helping practices have that level of tool set that any any business would. Because these are challenges that don't exist for businesses. 
you know, yes, they're in the business of selling an e-commerce, but the challenges are the same. And actually, as a small business, I know that I can find lots of agencies that are willing to help me with that. I can find lots of free tools. I can find lots of low-cost monthly online applications to help me with that stuff. You know, we use tons of them. I'm sure you use tons of them. But that doesn't exist for practices. So they always get a raw deal. And, you know, the small practice team sizes, the management teams are maybe fixed five, six, seven people max. That knowledge isn't embedded in there. So how do they manage to do that communication out of band without the help of someone like us to help them do that? So, you know, really, really important for us to to keep pushing that for them. Why do you think that um, patients have such a problem finding information that they need, how to book an appointment, for example? Because it changes so often. So, you know, even in the last three years, the commissioning structure has changed a few times. You know, practices are completely willing to adopt technology. And I think compared to other sectors of the NHS, more willing. You know, you look at the rollout of just electronic health records full stop. Primary care has been 100% digitalised for a long while and you still got hospitals, you know, with paper on trolley and digitalisation is about putting barcodes on paper. You know, primary care has been really willing to adopt. But because of that and the pace of the change, you know, things change really quickly. Suppliers are pushing out changes and that is the practice manager's job, you know, the MD of the practice, to communicate all that to patients across multiple channels there's not the time that exists for that. So we do the work, working with other suppliers to package information about their solutions so it can go in the websites, it can signpost the patients at the right point for what they want to do in a much cleverer way. And that's, you know, for us, it's about giving control back to the practice. It's not about us telling them what they need, it's about us listening and making sure that comes across. So one of the big things we do around that is letting them schedule content. And that can be things like, well, I've got... Yeah. You know, it's Sunday afternoon now, I'm going to put all my bank holiday messages on for the rest of the year, but that's also taking content on and off each day. So actually, I might be signposting to extended access outside of, you know, outside out of hours and making sure patients can get there. But that equity of access is really important. So, you know, practices are working in these structures with primary care networks who all have the same services that are being commissioned across that area. But, you know, we do audits of websites across PCN sometimes and we'll find really big banner on the homepage on one practice and extended access is a sub-bullet point or a sub-bullet point on a contact me page that's, you know, a bit messy and out of date. And suddenly, even though that 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 service has been commissioned, and that's not even a digital service that's been commissioned, your access between patients is vastly, vastly different just because how well it's been signposted. You know, and that takes constant, you know, constant effort. Practices don't have PR departments, they don't have comms managers, Mm. they don't have you know, those roles in practice in the same way that even trusts or care organisations often have now does not exist for primary care. Where it does exist at a CCG or a commission level, that's about health promotion across an area and not me as Dr Pepper and co-surgery. What am I doing and how am I communicating that? So really difficult challenges for them. Yeah, so I can imagine, obviously, practices across the whole NHS, they are so busy. They have patients to see. They have multiple different priorities. So for you, when you speak to a practice and say, this is really important, the likelihood is that that will be bottom of the pile and they won't really... It's not that they don't want to understand because they want to help patients. It's just that there's so many other priorities to handle. So how do you deal with those kind of challenges? So... We spend a lot of time reminding practice managers that 
the one thing that they're really, really good at is comms. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't realise it, their entire job is comms. So we encourage them to think less about the channel, think less about, oh, is it an SMS? Am I sending a letter? And think about the message rather than the format. And at the very least, if it's on there in text, then that's great. That's 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 really accessible. It's great for the patients. They can get the message for staff. So we encourage them to do more, not less. And that may even be just doing a little bit. We support them quite well with a content library. So our team are ex-practice managers, ex-reception staff who understand what's going on. We've got a really wide network. So anything that we're, we're seeing or we're aware of that we've been sent through, we'll package up as content that they can add with one click. So we make the distinction that we don't do it for them. It's their patients, they might want to mm-hmm. tweak the message, um, but we're really on it. So, you know, panorama... Um, I don't know when this this podcast is going out, but you know, recently <laughs> panorama around, around physician yeah. associates, big 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 pressure on GP practices straight away that morning. We had kind of really good messaging around. Well, actually, here's what a PA does. Here's how it works in our practice. We are not like that. This is how it's working here, mm-hmm. so that they could kind of defend themselves against that quite quickly. You know, that was something that through COVID was changing all the time. So, you know, Wednesday morning, nine o'clock, AstraZeneca, okay. 10 o'clock, not okay. 11 o'clock, okay, if you're over 40. You know, that was changing so quickly. You know, practice managers were busy doing the work of delivering care and weren't there to to log into a website editor and update stuff minute by minute. Team wasn't big enough to do that. So we take on that burden for them. So, you know, quite often people, when we talk about Practice 365 rather than some of the other solutions, you know, people sometimes think, oh, you know, you're, you're a website agency. And that, that's, that's not what we're doing. We're a primary care team that's using websites to help practices do the work. Mm-hmm. So we're more bothered about the... The message and how they're doing that that work than than around the other stuff. But primary care is really really keen to do that stuff. So I think you know practice managers do want to do better. There's some really good organisations out there supporting practices in that work. Um, so you know how can we help them? How can the NHS help itself to do some more of that stuff? And that's really about being more aware around. It's about comms rather than channel. So you know you can do a newsletter, you can do a leaflet, you're doing your phone line, you're doing your calling board, you're doing all of that stuff you can communicate with patients. So once they can get to that level of understanding, there's a comfort then of going, look, just shove a message on the website. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's not going to live there forever. Patients want to trust you. And you know, if they can believe in themselves more, much, 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 much better. Yeah, as you said, primary care don't have PR teams. They don't have marketing teams to help when the press pick up on something and decide that they're going to bash a an NHS organisation so having I guess you there as that um, almost comfort for them to say actually do you know what this story's gone out on the BBC and we're here to help you with that message that must be really nice you must get a lot of good feedback does anyone else do that actually? Yeah I mean so we often call ourselves sometimes like we're a mini flotilla within Yorkshire of small health tech companies that all have the, the same ethos. Yeah. Um, we aren't the only website provider in the market. There are some yeah. very poor suppliers that we're really, really keen to help practices find better solutions to. But there's some suppliers that, while they take a different tact to us, are doing things in what we think is the right way still. Yeah. So we all work together. We share content from our contents libraries with each other. We do a lot of work to, to, to kind of uplift that. We think that's better for everyone. Um, there's lots of organisations that are willing to provide support for practice managers. You know, these new organisations like the Institute of General Practice Management, the PMA, who are doing more work to support practice managers as a profession 
versus being an auxiliary role within the surgery and understanding, you know, the new to pr- uh, partnership scheme that allows practice managers to be recognised as a managing partner versus a practice manager alongside some GP partners, really, really important for making that uh, a specialised role. And look, we've seen that in other verticals. So within support and service management, there was a long while where it was, you know, you know, geeks and nerds doing IT support and that professionalism of that has really made a difference so you know when I started and you know maybe it was the same for you the practice manager was traditionally the GP partner's wife yeah. and now what you've got is people who are training and going into practice management either from other industries or deciding well actually this is you know this is something that I could do um I, w- I think I'd love to be a practice manager you know the, the yeah. challenge of, of doing that on a on you know, on a for patient list size and having that continual feedback, I think would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, I'm a I'm too, I'm too nerdy and I'd end up <laughs> trying to sell everything that we were doing to all the other practices in the area. I'm maybe a bit too uh, uh, a bit too commercial. Yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you know that you're doing something that's helping people, then why not? Why not try and sell your services? Well, that's just my opinion. <laughs> um, so you, you talked about like suppliers and other suppliers and how kind of they handle things. And on your website, you say that the NHS deserves better. Is that what you mean, or is, is there something else that you feel? Yeah, I mean, so I've, I've got lots of, I've got absolutely tons of thoughts <laughs> on this. So fundamentally, I think the NHS deserves better. But more than that, I think primary care and care organisations deserve better. So you know, there's a lot of crossover in those those kinds of customers where the legacy has been quite disjointed as small organisations who are now kind of rolling up. Organisations quite often, especially in the primary care market, will start with a nice bit of innovation, roll that out to a nice level of market share within primary care, and then one of two things happen. They get really big external investment and then really stop listening to what the customers want and start growing, trying to grow into another market like secondary care because now they're on that rat race to get that growth, which doesn't really give primary care anything it needs. So you get products that are mm, good enough but aren't equivalent to a similar thing in another market. And then because it's the NHS, where there are solutions that don't need to be specialised for primary care so things like file sharing tools where yes technically you need to make sure the governance is right and the security is right there's no reason why you couldn't use those tools versus something that was sector specific so practice end up buying things that are sector specific so they don't so they've got that reassurance but then they end up with what's actually quite poor you know i spend a lot of time maybe being dismissive of some of the innovation that's going on in the NHS because it's no different than anywhere else. So e-consultation's fantastic. We've got a really great e-consultation We've got a really great e-consultation <laughs> product in one contact um, that also does outbound management. Um, but I spend a lot of time telling people forms are forms are forms are forms. There is no difference between the way that we've technically built that platform for primary care and how you build it for any other sector. So these are challenges inbound consumer demand how do you manage inbound consumer demand how do you shift that away from phone lines this is a story that's been told in every other vertical it's happened in banking it's happened in travel you know it's happened everywhere else mm. companies come into primary care saying well yes but it's a bit special well actually <laughs> and that you know that hurts practices because practices then feel actually i don't know how to deal with this well actually you do know so you know uh, a question we get asked quite a lot when we when we're talking about one contact and e consultations is like, well, what do I do if someone fills it out that isn't a patient? 
well, what do you do if you get a letter from someone who's not a patient? Or a phone the call. Me- <laughs> exactly, or a phone call. The medium has changed, but yeah. the process hasn't. Yeah. And that's that's what we, that's what we spend a lot of time reassuring practices, is, yeah. is you've got this, you know, you know what you're doing, you know how to deliver care. The fact that the medium's changed, mm-hmm. you know, a video consultation is nothing more than a phone call with pictures. <laughs> so don't consider it to be something different. Yeah. Start from a phone call, escalate to a video call, but you know, have the reassurance that actually this is this is channel shift. This isn't a change in what you're doing or how you're working and nor should it be. And where suppliers present that, the NHS gets a burden. And mm. that's where we think the NHS deserves better. Um, the, the the fact is is that those organisations are doing really, really important work. I mean, I'm I'm so passionate about primary care. We could do the stuff sort of stuff we do in lots of other industries, but we don't. And that's because I think that primary care is a place where actually the more work we put in to help primary care, you know, that's dividends for me in the future, that's dividends for my family in the future. Um and that's what I mean by the NHS deserves better. Do I think that there's other suppliers that could could do better? Absolutely. Um, but I think the NHS is savvy enough to to know what they want and know what they need and, and vote and vote with the feet. So my practice, um, during COVID they turned off e consultations. I'm not a phone person. I hate picking up the phone, I hate waiting on hold. I want access online and I want to be able to fill out a form and get whatever I need from a doctor. Um and they haven't turned it back on. And it's really frustrating for me because I'm like, I don't want to sit on hold for an hour in the morning to wait to be told there's no appointments. And I, you know, I fully understand that there's so much pressure on them. But what about when practices don't want to put things online and they feel like they're maybe too busy? What's your response to that? It's because practices are, are too busy. There's less GPs than there, there had been forever before. Throughout COVID, there was, a, there was a big media narrative that GPs weren't there, that the front doors were closed. Believe me, the GPs were working. They were working remotely. They were working in the surgery. The doors were closed because that's what the NHS told practices to do. Practices and GP partners are working longer hours for less money. They're not on the golf course. They don't have the time to do this stuff. Um, you know, there's not a week where we don't have a practice manager or a GP who's really upset and, it, it, and you know, he's often on tears with us. This weekend, there was four GPs on Twitter who posted pictures of bridges saying that they were going to commit suicide. It is really, really, really tough yeah. for practices, but it's really tough for patients as well. Mm. So, you know, so, so there's that balance there. So that's what we do a lot around, control, we call it control and manage demand. Mm. So yes, if you feel like you're struggling, Turn an e-consult off, turning your e-consult offer off the website completely often feels like a solution because that demand disappears. But it doesn't disappear, it's displaced. So we often talk to practices about, well, turn it off out of hours could be something that helps you not mm. come into a deluge in the morning. Yeah. But actually that's hidden demand that you're doing elsewhere. That you're going to see so, in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. So if demand's 150% and your e-consult tool is capturing 120% of it, and even if it's reducing some of that demand, there's still more demand than you can manage. And this is the same in any other sector. So, you know, in IT support, traditional kind of transactional customer service, the, the, the traditional mantra is, well, get the demand, understand it, so you can manage it and, and pattern it. So we do lots of work with practices to say, well, actually... We can turn off, we can help them turn off certain bits of e-consult. So while an acute 
on the day need isn't going to be appropriate out of hours because it's more appropriate services, a request for a sick form or a med review is always going to end up at the practice. So allow that to be served 24 hours. We do a lot to help practices understand that the demand isn't coming from those tools as well. So they will see demand that they didn't see before. And the presumption is sometimes that the tools causing the demand. That's that's often not the case. So, you know, we use analytics in the website to kind of go, well, look, you had 2,000 people visit, 25% went to a patient-facing service, an appointment booking app, prescription booking app, something like that. So many went on to use NHS Choices or NHS 111, and actually only these ones came on to use your e-consult. So if you've been getting 1,000 e-consults through in a day, but actually you can see that there was 3,000 potential people that can help a little yeah. bit. But, you know, it's, it's hard because practices are run by partners and practice management staff. And the partners are the ones who are providing the bulk of care in surgeries because locums aren't available or they're on a really high rate, which is why practices are changing the skills mix. Um, so, it's, you know, so it's often it's often really hard. You know, I've had conversations with my mum where she's struggled to access primary care because she didn't understand the right route. She couldn't mm-hmm. find the right button to click in the right place to get yeah. what she needed. And the presumption is that, you know, they don't want to give you the appointments because they don't, you know, and that's that's definitely not the case. Mm-hmm. They're working so, so hard, you know, with less support than they've had before, certainly less support than they've, they've had before from the government. The heyday of primary care funding is gone. You know, they're asking me to do more with less, you know, and this is on a backdrop of delivering the biggest ever vaccination program that the UK has ever seen. Yeah. You know, something primary care is very good at is vaccination programs. Mm-hmm. So they've delivered that at scale. Um, you know, we had 11, 11.2 million bookings for vaccinations, not through the national vaccination booking portal, through our own booking portals. And that was incredibly rewarding to be able to go, well, look, you know, this is really scary. This is a really scary yeah. time. But to go, well, at least we know that we're helping x amount of people to do that stuff and some of the work we've been doing around long covid is has been really great for the team um but practices want to provide that care they're they're, they're struggling and and they need help Mm. and you know what can patients do to help well it's not about saying don't visit your gp because absolutely you need to visit the right place for you um but it's important to remember what you need versus what you want you know, so what is willing you willing to wait for? And, sh- and, you know, be open with your practice. It's fine to say to them, look, I've got this niggly concern, but I'm not asking for a response straight away. Or actually, I'm going to be proactive about my own med review. But don't worry, I'm not asking for it in today. I'm just submitting it now. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and having that conversation with the practice, uh, it is frustrating for patients. Um but it's very frustrating for practices. Media coverage doesn't help because the message yeah. isn't helping people understand. Um, there was a lot of stuff about A&E last week um, with, an, you know, with the A&E in Essex where she was saying, this is the situation. And you know, one of the national uh, papers put a message out saying, you know, inability to access GP causing pressure at A&E. There's absolutely no data to support that. Yeah. You know, people are turning up at A&E because they're acutely unwell. They're acutely unwell because they can't get the care they need. That is because of a multitude of reasons, mainly because the staff aren't there, mainly because the funding's not there. It's not because anyone is sending anyone to A&E as a first point of call. Nobody in A&E is happy to be in A&E and no one is choosing to go there, you know, for for joy. So, you know, it's it's an interesting time for practices, but, you know, I emphasise with patients, I do. Um, And we do lots of, you know, 
that our solution's great for increasing accessibility and making sure people can access that stuff. But, you know, we often say we're a primary care business and, you know, the, the practice teams are, uh, are really who we're, we're the most invested mm. in, in, in getting the support that they need. Yeah, I think the only way that it's ever going to change is like mutual support with each other, suppliers supporting NHS organisations, primary care organisations, patients understanding, um, practices understanding patients. And if, if we all work together, then it's, you know, it's more likely to, to improve. My practice, um, having said they turned the, off, the online um, consultations off, Every time I've rang them, and I don't ring my doctor often because I don't really like doctors. <laughs> I work in the, the area, but I don't, <laughs> I'm not a fan of speaking to doctors as a patient. <laughs> it makes me nervous. Um, <laughs> but they, every time I've called them, they are on it. I've ne- they've never rejected an appointment. I had to go during COVID because I have um, asthma, which doesn't come up often, but it did during COVID, worst time ever. Um, and they saw me straight away. Um, despite obviously having a worry it might be COVID, they saw me, they they um they helped me and, and they were great and I have nothing bad to say about, about it and I, I feel I really feel for them. Practices will absolutely make sure people get the care they need. Mm. So, you know, I've had a relative uh, in the last two years who's complained massively about, you know, something they wanted around around their meds and, you know, on the face of it not an objectionable request, but on the face of it not not an issue. Yeah. As far as I could see it, at the same time, I've had relatives who've had you know two week cancer referrals who've been seen mm. triaged by the practice, in with a practice nurse the next day, and then through to the hospital within two weeks. You know, so the care that needs to happen is there. But you know, we've had a fantastic primary care system in the UK for a lot of years. You know, in other countries, it would be more usual to see a pharmacy first to to do do mm. more self care. And, you know, we've come to love and respect that that relationship that we have with our GPs and we want that for everything. And, you know, it's great. You know, I also want my accountant to do all my bookkeeping, <laughs> but actually I'm only going to go to them for the stuff that only they can mm. do. Um, and it's the, you know, it's the same with our healthcare professionals. You know, you need to understand the skill set of GPs, understand what it is that you can want from them, but understand that they're supported by a wonderful practice team with a variety of roles, you know, and, you know, I'd be happy to see whoever they, they tell me to see because I know yeah. that ultimately they want you know they want me to be well. They're mm. in the business of making me well. Yeah. Uh, I don't think any GP, you know, where the market has been at any point has been doing their training and decided to do GP because they thought it was going to be any easier than any <laughs> other specialism. No, it's not. You know, and it's not that they're a jack of all trade. They're a specialist generalist. You know, mm. and that is a skill set in its own right. Those GPs did that knowing the. The, what they were walking into within primary care and knowing that that was where they were going to make an impact and you know mm. I've got so, I mean I've got so much respect for for, for you know for, for primary care and you know that kind of area in the market not that I don't love secondary care hospitals are brilliant <laughs> um but primary care you know for me that you know that's what it's all about yeah you don't go to a job in a job like that if you don't want to help people do you so Thanks again for joining us this week, Tom. We'll be continuing this conversation next week. So I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. Um, Don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got any questions for us or our guests, please email whatthehealthtech at radarhealthcare.com.